This is the Flannery Podcast. Welcome to episode 18, titled Trump Unplugged and On the Run. Stay tuned. If I could uh, strum a guitar, I'd sing a tale of where the nation stands, but that's not my talent. I'm going to do what I can and riff through a series of subjects talking about where we stand today, review Trump's misconduct, and why he may be on the run all the way to the election in November. First off, let's talk about his racism and how our nation is pushing back with some success. You may have seen the interview of Trump at the Lincoln Memorial. Dishonest Donald Trump compared himself with Honest Abe Lincoln's historic service during a civil war. Consider the irony. Trump plainly seeks to divide the nation, while Lincoln famously sought to unite the nation. Lincoln firmly believed a house divided cannot stand, and Trump has done everything imaginable to divide the nation so what? that it cannot stand? Trump would continue and preserve the badges of slavery, for example. But Lincoln freed the slaves and outlawed badges of slavery. Trump supports white power, even tweeted a video today when I'm making this podcast. Trump puts it right out there that he believes in white supremacy. He makes no apologies for it, although the people around him, the adults they call them, protect him and run it backwards and delete the things that he says. So he gets to say these outrageous things to the ditto heads that follow his racist proposals and then sort of say, oh, it was a mistake, it was error, I didn't know this, I didn't know the other thing. Trump supports the symbols of the Confederate states who sought to divide the nation. That's no secret either. He embraces the flags and the monuments. He doesn't want anybody to take them down. But there is a wind of change in America among the legislatures and the people, but especially among the people. Let's look at the Mississippi legislature, which is removing vestiges of the Confederacy from their state flag as it reflects racism. And at long last, they find this expression unacceptable. Trump seeks to preserve and protect Confederate statues. We, the people, are pulling them down, literally. Some object to just pulling them down. Follow a legal process, they say. They insist, and, and don't, just, don't just pull them down. You know, talk about it. Seriously? I'm not going to tear any down myself. But I understand why many have and will. And I won't be upset with them if they tear down every monument in the nation honoring lawless behavior and racism and traitorism in America. Why are we honoring these people? Trump has convinced the nation and the world beyond that he is a lawbreaker himself. No one expects him to do anything about the law. Politicians who've done nothing for so many years, very Rip Van Winkle reps, you might say, asleep ever since the Civil War. And I say this, notwithstanding the passage of some belated but enlightened legislation in recent days. Folks, just don't trust our government to do what it should have done a long time ago if they gave a tinker's damn to follow the law. Nor can we ignore how dramatically in our history has been the foot dragging. Whisper Jim Crow laws, past and present, we still have them, suppressing of the vote of blacks, all sorts of 
ways to draw lines for representative districts, really unrepresentative. Instructive of this key point is the efforts by the NAACP back in the 50s to have persons of color treated equally. Thurgood Marshall was a most patient and effective advocate fighting for equality for blacks, resisting in every way possible the idea stated by the Supreme Court in a case called Plessy against Ferguson that separate was equal. When Thurgood and other NAACP stars, including Bob Carter, challenged the notion that separation guaranteed anything like equal, the result was a decision that endorsed integration that overruled separate but equal. In the case that you all know, Brown against the Board of Education. But here's the rub. The Supreme Court issued the decision, but it said it should be implemented with all deliberate speed, which translated into almost no speed at all. Whoa. President Eisenhower resisted implementing the decision every way possible. The South, by its different politicians, engaged in massive resistance. Thurgood Marshall discussed, for example, how he had his dealings with Eisenhower and this pushback in an interview with Mike Wallace. But uh, the South considers a lawsuit as being violent. Well, if that's violent, yes, I'm for it. But I'm not for not protecting myself. I am for protecting myself at all costs. Do you think that President Eisenhower, Mr. Marshall, has done all that he can thus far to further the cause of integration. And what I mean is in practice as well as in, as in speech, as well as in trying to create a uh, restrained but favorable national attitude. Well, I do not think that President Eisenhower has done anywhere near what he could have done. I wonder whether it's too late. I don't, personally, I don't think it's too late. But I think it's some, the president should have shortly after the decisions, or at least by now, have gotten on a television uh, network or radio and spoken as the chief executive of this government to the good people of the South, urging them to support the decision of the Supreme Court as the law of the land, whether they believed in it or not and to use the full influence of his position as president to bring about peaceful solution of this problem. I think he was obliged to do that, and I think that his failure to do so does not help us at all, especially when we realize that as a result of the failure of the good forces to take over, we have allowed these other forces like the white citizens' councils and the Klan to threaten and intimidate good people. How moral leadership should come from the top executive of the government. It's his responsibility, and he can't talk. At every turn, if we run through the history, particularly as it applied to race and equality, the powers that be to delay equality when they don't frustrate it. They targeted these lawyers from the North who sought to, de to defeat racism black and white lawyers from the NAACP, you know, up in New York. If you don't think what Thurgood did was personally dangerous, going into the South, think again. Consider what his wife had to say about what Thurgood did, traveling across the South to fight for equal rights. Were you ever afraid that he might run into trouble in his travels in the South? 
Well, I was afraid, but uh, you know, it's part of his job, and and if you're gonna go afraid, you can't do the job. You know, you have to go in there with positive thinking. But there are lots of people who live there every day that go through life every day. That's why he said, you know, if they can do it, I can do it. Because they live there. He says, I go up there and take the fastest train out, the fastest airplane out, and you know, that's how much of a coward I am. And he admitted, I'm a coward compared to all of our people down south. Thurgood usually slept in homes with his clothes on. So if they came to where he was staying, he could just run away quickly. He couldn't get access to restrooms at some of the courtrooms in the South. He couldn't find a place to eat in the South. More than once it looked like he was going to die. He was taken for a drive, but they didn't kill him. But they sure scared him, and they had hoped to do it, and it appeared that in the instances where they tried to do it, it was frustrated. Those who fight for racial equality today know that they're following in that tradition, resisting equality for persons of color, speaking truth to power. However beneficent the authorities may pretend to be, however uh, saucy their voices sound like they're on your side, they know it ain't so. We live under the illusion that we made great progress, and we have made some progress, but the color of a person's skin still matters more than the character of his person. With Trump, what progress we achieved as a nation has been set back dramatically, and that's been our current challenge. The good news is that we, the people, have pushed back. I think of the old movie network where a TV host invites his list listeners to say, I'm mad as hell and I won't take it anymore. So, I want you to get out now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore! I want you to get up right now! Well, that's what's happened in America. The accumulation of lawless and biased conduct by Trump and the murder of a black man for a petty charge following upon other incidents abusing and killing other blacks was too much for Minneapolis and for the nation to tolerate. George Floyd, a black man, was choked to death by police on a misdemeanor charge and first it started the community protested. No justice seemed available. It appeared the police could kill a man in broad daylight with people looking on, taping the event, and get away with it. The indifference, the failure to act, the delay to do anything, stoked the fires of dissension, prompted demands to reform, found allies among whites and some elected leaders, first close to home in Minneapolis and then across the nation, and finally across the world. As protests for these racist acts flowed from one place to another and well the people were mad as hell and they knew what needed to be done to form the system in the right way so that there would be equality this past week the democratic house passed a bill 236 votes to 181 that had as its objective reforms transformative changes in the laws to combat police violence against blacks the Democratic bill would hold police officers personally liable for damages in lawsuits. It would ban no-knock warrants often used by police in drug raids. And it would halt the flow of military surplus equipment to police departments. Three Republicans 
cross party lines to vote in favor. And good for them, even if it was a question of political survival in this next election. But Senate Republicans, almost to the man, have refused to take up the House version, arguing it is an overreach that would undermine law enforcement. In other words, they prefer the police state to a state in which people are equal and treated equally. The Republicans wanted amendments, but not really for reform. It was to give them cover in the election for not supporting the bill. So they could say, I voted for this or that, even though it was incomplete or some partial thing. This is not new on Capitol Hill and certainly not new as elections approach. The Democrats took the position that these were necessary reforms and that while they were prepared to listen and talk to anyone for revisions, they weren't going to sell out these reforms. That's happened too much in the past. The, the Democrats therefore wouldn't budge on the reform. If we don't pass the bill in this Congress, when we win the November election, and we own both houses and the White House, if we, you and I, do what we've got to do, what needs to be done, we'll pass this bill in the next session of Congress and we won't need their votes to do the right thing. The bill was named after George Floyd, how appropriately, choked to death about a month ago. While in police custody for a misdemeanor charge that he passed a bogus $20 bill. Trump has said he may veto the bill if, he, if it ever gets to his resolute desk. But Moscow Mitch will probably stop that at every possible turn it could so that he never has to veto the bill. But he's told us he's going to do it. So we don't have any doubt about it. For all his talk about being a great politician, he's not. If clarity about his prejudice is uh, a deficit in America. And I think from the reaction we see after what happened to George Floyd, it is a deficit. The nation has had enough. They're angry and they're not going to take it anymore. There was a court decision this week that said Trump couldn't keep immigrant children in a concentration camp given the risk of the coronavirus. This is a kind of crossover of bias that is against Mexican children combined with the mishandling of the virus. Isn't that perfect? Trump gets to do both things at the same time. Well, no doubt it will be appealed, but consider what lawyer could possibly go into court with a straight face and say these children should be exposed to the coronavirus and they should continue in these concentration camps. Next, let's consider the division and deaths caused by the coronavirus. Stay tuned. Trump didn't care what the risk was to reopen society, meaning the risk of infection and of death. And he kicked and pushed state governors and his followers on Twitter feeds and press conferences to reopen too soon and without the protections, the masks, the social distance, and more. While this was going on, Trump also made a push asking the Supreme Court, get this to end the Affordable Care Act that covers 23 million Americans, and this during a pandemic. In other words, he would like to pull the rug out from beneath people who might have to go to the hospital in this pandemic that Trump has not discouraged from happening, indeed has made worse. This while we have this amazing and dangerous resurgence of the virus. That is to say, we're now seeing the effects of reopening too soon. 
It has been nearly two months since several states started reopening. Now there are growing concerns that some may have moved too fast, too soon. With summer in full swing, coronavirus hotspots have migrated from the Northeast to states across the South and West, including Florida. Trump runs away from the CDC's own recommendations wearing a mask and social distancing. Trump won't wear a mask. He also led a poorly attended rally in Tulsa where people didn't wear a mask and he didn't require anyone to wear a mask or to follow social distancing. The CDC is advising the use of non-medical cloth face covering. This is voluntary. I don't think I'm going to be doing it. I'm feeling good. I just don't want to be doing, I don't know, somehow sitting in the Oval Office behind that beautiful Resolute desk, the great Resolute desk. I think uh, wearing a face mask as I greet presidents, prime ministers, dictators, kings, queens, I don't know, somehow I don't see it for myself. I just, I just, uh, maybe I'll change my mind. We now have a situation which many of Trump's ditto-head followers won't wear a mask. In fact, they, they still think it's some sort of hoax, even as the people around them are infected and some are dying. I'm reluctant to say I don't care what damage they cause to themselves just because I've been taught better than to say that. But it's not just them. That's the problem. It's their family and friends and innocents who did not stake out the positions they did that this is some sort of hoax, who are unaware they may be infected by these asocial, careless people. Consider what they say about wearing a mask. I ain't scared. Yeah. You know, what's gonna be, gonna be. There are more. I think the coup de grace was the press conference by Vice President Pence last Friday, just a couple of days before I'm giving this uh, podcast. I don't know about you, but he strikes me as a Stepford husband. He's robotic. He's always been very strange. He's, he, I don't think he's, um, he's, he's with us, that he's connected to humans. He's asocial, a sociopath. He's disconnected from this crisis, from the health and danger that people are affected. Of course, as he was holding the press conference, he didn't wear a mask. He spoke within feet of Dr. Fauci, the infectious disease expert, who did wear a mask. He was asked if it was a good idea, a good example, and wise to have rallies that has he proposed to have this week after this podcast uh, in the course of the resurgence of the virus. Well, the, the freedom of speech, the right to peaceably assemble is enshrined in the Constitution of the United States, uh, and uh, we have an election coming up this fall. He said it was a First Amendment right even in a pandemic. Well, what is he talking about? You can express yourself, your First Amendment, without putting persons at risk, as Trump did in Tulsa and a church in Arizona. Pence, I think, also feels like the guy who's a puppet, like the movie Chicago, when the lawyer pulls the strings on his client to say what he needed her to say. In this case, we have Trump pulling the strings on Pence to say what he needs to say. Trump is such a coward, he always needs a cutout to do his dirty works, just like the mob always does, and he is mob-like in every respect. The numbers of infections increase, and so Texas and Florida are pulling back from the reopening they approved. 
Okay, they shouldn't have, in the first case, opened so suddenly. Making some corrections are good, but I say some because not all and probably not strong enough, and the pressure on both hospital facilities and the need for you know, protective gear and masks and everything is now under pressure because they reopen soon. And here's the other rub. People are taking courage from the facts. Well, yes, the infections are up, but we don't have an increase in deaths. And, that, and the problem is infections go up, people go into the hospital, and when they do, and things get worse, then they die. So in other words, deaths lag higher numbers of infections. They don't happen right away. And we'll find out in the weeks ahead exactly what our exposure and what our danger is. So we've set back our collective effort against the pandemic by all those who locked down. Plainly, expecting people to do what's necessary isn't working. You know, we ask people to do this voluntarily, and they, I'm not going to do that. You know, if you told them not to wear sweatshirts or T-shirts or things like that, would they also be in the same fashion? Whatever these irrelevant comparisons would be. It was James Madison who said, if men were angels, no government would be necessary. If angels were to govern men, neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. In framing a government which is to be administered by men over men, the great difficulty lies in this. You must first enable the government to control the governed and the next place oblige it to control itself. Well, we have violations in both directions of what Madison would advise us to do. We have... Uh, little control by law or the Constitution in the current government because it's ruled by fiat by one who would be a despot or king. But the rest of it is, if we're not requiring people to do by law what they refuse to do, we have no way to coerce them to do the right thing for public safety, health and safety for themselves and for others. And yes, on some level, we may not care about them if they choose to be so risky as to play this virus roulette and perhaps destroy themselves. That's one thing. But all the other people that they affect and infect, that's a different story. We have to get this right. We have to require masks across the nation. We have to supply them at stores and buildings as may be necessary for those that may not have masks so that they can comply and so that they can protect each of us from what they're doing. Unfortunately, because of the illness and deaths, impossible to deny, the public gets that Trump doesn't give a damn. We're approaching the 4th of July. Let's revisit what independence means today in the light of just these two uh, glances at what Trump has done to disunite the nation. Stay tuned. The 4th of July is a pageant celebrating our independence from an imperial nation that denied us self-rule, dignity, and freedom. It's a time of marching bands, waving flags, usually when there's not a pandemic, capped with cloud brushing, soaring, multicolored flashes of fireworks, lighting the night sky to the sound of oohs and ahs from across the nation. But this 4th of July really shouldn't be like that. Time will tell. The 4th of July evokes the language of the Declaration hammered out in a hot Philadelphia hall, striking and revising the words of Thomas Jefferson, setting forth who we believe we were as a nation, a borning, independent of a king. 
We must reflect upon the sentiments of that grand occasion and how we may fulfill those worthy sentiments today when our independence is at risk from within and from without, including, according to intelligence sources and the Senate, a foreign nation-state, Russia, that interfered in our elections. And now just days ago, we hear not only did they interfere in the last election, but apparently they also were prepared to kill our troops in combat, and that the president, that is Trump, the puppet for Putin, was on notice of this. And of course, they'll run away from that in the days ahead, but doesn't make sense that he didn't know anything about it. You know, when we talk about traitorous behavior, if a president is so selfish as only to care about his power and his personal interests and getting reelected and is prepared to do the bidding of Russia after what they did to interfere in the last election to elect him, we can presume they're doing the same thing this time. And the other concern that we have to have is this time are they going to focus on the election itself? Because the vote by the polls looks terrible for Trump right now. And some commentators even think that he's going to resign beforehand. And uh, I, I have my doubts about it. I think he'll run into the wall, and hopefully we will beat him on Election Day if we do everything we have to do. So we have to reflect upon the sentiments of that grand occasion, our Declaration of Independence, and how we may fulfill those worthy sentiments today when our independence is at risk. When we declared our independence, we said we believe that we are all created equal. Well, in the statement at that time, it just wasn't true. It didn't involve blacks. It didn't involve women. It didn't involve people who didn't have property. We have struggled since to perform that sentiment, but of late, persons of color are treated as suspect and targets for police violence, even murder. We should respect the notion that prudence does indicate that, to borrow the words of the Declaration, that, quote, governments long established as ours should not be changed for light and transient reasons. But we watch critical functions in the executive department compromised or destroyed by cabinet officers and the chief executive, and that's Trump. Our nation is divided on the question of race. And a lot of that ends up right at the door of Trump because he's done everything he can from the moment that he announced he was running until the time I'm talking to you right now in this podcast. Our nation is divided and at risk because our chief executive can't handle this existential crisis involving a pandemic. In fact, he has denied it. It's sort of burred his head in a hole and ignored it, hoping what? That it would just go away? Or that the, the people who died would be so few we wouldn't notice? We're leading the world in a competition that we don't want to win, which is that we have the most infections in the world. Our nation is divided and at risk because of Trump. Our Declaration of Independence declared, Governments are instituted among men, it just said men, depriving their just powers from the consent of the government. Polls change, but in the general election the last time, if you went by the majority vote, the governed didn't consent. The Electoral College permitted this man to become his accidency, to become the president that should have never been. But if we look at the polls today, and again, people will say, well, you know, they didn't work the last time. Well, they did work in terms of the popular vote. And this time we're getting polls that tell us in the key electoral states that were a problem the last time, 
Uh, he's running behind Biden. So it appears presently that Trump has lost the consent that he had to govern, even if you give him the credit for the Electoral College. Our chief executive embraces a, po a police state, and he refuses to approve a House bill that seeks to redress the systemic, corrupt, racist practices of police across the nation that are undeniable. The government policy favoring the separation of immigrant parents and children from each other defied the will of the people, and that more recently it put these children at risk of illness and death and that just had to be set aside by the court, and it, and it has been, but it will be appealed. Our Declaration of Independence was an indictment of oppressive rule. The Declaration sanctioned Great Britain when the king had, quote, refused his assent to laws. That is the laws of the, United, of the colonies, if you will. We have a chief executive who would be king, who fails to respect and enforce our laws, who favors court rulings only if they favor his rule. Everything else is subject to the usual kind of slander and blustery attacks that he does on anyone who disagrees with him, uh, including his own staff, his cabinet, anybody. As was true of King George, we have a chief executive who has forbidden to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance. Among them are laws and regulations to curb racism, to keep us safe from the pandemic, to sustain the health care of millions of America, Americans, the protections necessary for our air and water, to safeguard our public lands, to respect migrants seeking asylum, and to provide for the general welfare. Like King George, we have a chief executive who has obstructed the administration of justice. In regal fashion, claiming unprecedented power to do as he wishes, our chief executive fires those who dare to investigate or question his conduct. Elected officials couldn't pass a bill to block effort by our chief executive to fire the special counsel charged with investigating him. The special counsel detailed efforts to obstruct his investigation and fire him, the special counsel. Our elected official opined critically and they finally did impeach him, rightly so, but the Republicans prove they care more about their re-election than they do care about their oath of office. Slight offenses by our citizenry are punished and disproportionate for minor offenses, and our chief executive daily misleads the nation, attacks its institution, violates its laws, and seemingly with impunity. Nobody can touch him. And his former national security advisor says that if he's re-elected, how are we going to control him in a second term? What are we to do when the man who occupies the West Wing acts as a prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant? That's what we said about King George in the Declaration of Independence. We can say that today about Trump. Is that person not, as we found King George, quote, unfit to be the ruler of a free people? I believe so. In our Declaration of Independence, it was well said, quote, that all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. We must resist this administration's objective that appears calculated to destroy all that was good about this nation, every element that made it a republic as opposed to a dictatorship. Our Declaration of Independence plainly stated that, quote, whenever any form of government becomes obstructive, 
It is the right of the people to alter or abolish it, to affect their safety and happiness. Aren't we in that condition just as we were in the Declaration of Independence was written and passed by colonials? The Declaration further said, when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing the same object evinces a design to reduce the governed under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government. In this administration, we are far past that threshold. We couldn't get an indictment. He is not resigning, and he was impeached, but he was not convicted. That leaves the ballot box. That's how we have to remove this man who would be our king. The Congress has resisted to use its tools to close down the president's misconduct. What he's done to usurp the powers and jurisdiction of the separate but interdependent departments of our government. Our character as a nation, our cultural DNA, is of rugged independence. As lovers of freedom with a can-do spirit and an extended hand to help others on a journey still underway. To secure for every person the rights that we declared paramount the rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. As has always been the case, it was and remains true that the people do what our elected officials appear unequal to the task and incapable of doing. Could there be a more blatant disconnect than having this self-declared potentate re-elected? I think not. So, we have to do something about it in November. Thank you for listening. I hope you found this interesting. Subscribe if you haven't, and I'll issue another podcast next Sunday. Until then, be well and be safe. Thank you. Bye-bye.